You're listening to An Open Dialogue. I'm Violet Howe. And I'm Todra Candle. And this week, we are talking about royalty, something that we don't have here in the United States, but that we surely go nuts over. Why is that? Rue that king over, you know, over 200 years ago, and yet, and yet, we have... We We kicked him to the curb, and then we worship his descendants. Yeah, and, and I actually think... Um, being the student of history, that we we were not so much, um, you know, excited about royalty in this country until the advent of Queen Victoria. And then all of a sudden, Queen Victoria kind of um, had such a huge influence, not only uh, in, in the Great Britain, you know, the sun never set on the British Empire, but also in America. If you look back during the Civil War, um, you, you see her influence there, and especially in the South. There was a right. huge love for all things British and all things Victorian. Oh, definitely. And there was, right. you know, there was also um, there was a, a it came very close to Great Britain coming into the war on the side of of the South. It was probably Gettysburg that that turned them against doing that. And if that had happened, we don't know what would have happened in this country. Can you imagine? Right. However, we're not talking about American history. We're talking about. British. royalty yeah, and our fascination yeah. our fascination with royalty and and you know what um i i'm mostly when i when we talk about royalty we're mostly talking about um british but let's talk about the fact that there's also a danish royalty and there's also spanish um, spanish royalty there's Norwegian. also swedish royalty right. yeah and um something that's near and dear to my heart uh the, the royal family in monaco because I grew up in the Philadelphia area and um, when Princess Grace was still alive and I actually was on the beach with Princess Grace. Her house, uh, the, 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 the Kelly's house, because of course she was Grace Kelly before she was Princess Grace. And, and the Kelly's house was on the corner where we went to the beach every year. And um, at the Jersey Shore, which is in Ocean City, New Jersey. Um, and so, I actually was on the beach when she was there uh, with her family and her kids. And, and in those days, uh, the paparazzi wasn't so great or whatever. And, and everybody knew that she was just there. So it wasn't, you know, there wasn't security. There weren't reporters, whatever. It was just, oh, okay, well, there she is, you know. And, and she was just on the beach with the rest of us. And, and so... I feel like this is your Kevin Bacon moment. This is not that like Bacon. somehow... This go. would connect you to Kevin Bacon. Then I was on the beach Maybe. with Princess Grace, and Maybe. she was with yeah. yeah I feel like I this don't, is your Kevin Bacon. Moment. Yeah, it, it might be. But um, I remember just being devastated when she died because it, she did feel like somebody who, uh, in in our area, in the greater Philadelphia, South Jersey, Delaware area, we definitely felt that she was our princess, and um, the Kelly family still very very prominent in in the Philadelphia area, and I believe that her children still do go back um, every now and again, although the house is no longer in the, in the Kelly family. I think they do go back every now and again and, and spend some time there. So, um, yeah. I don't think I ever really had a connection with um, Princess Grace, Grace Kelly. I, I think mine started with Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when we, my mother and I moved um, to Florida when I was in, I think I was in seventh grade. And um, I remember the wedding being on Diana and Charles's wedding and just being captivated. Like I sat yes. glued to the television the entire time and just captivated with, with how complex it was and how beautiful it was and her dress and her train and all the people and, and the, you know, all the pomp and circumstances that went with it and just being fascinated by her from that moment 
forth. Just absolutely fascinated by her. I had the I had the Diana haircut. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> the Lady Die it was called then. Yes. And um and just being really fascinated by her and um especially like the more glamorous she got and the more popular she got and the more um kind of I guess you would say in some ways media savvy that she got when she began to to use the media for her causes and and just really it, admired her and you know it's funny how you, you kind of feel like you know people in some ways and of course mm-hmm. we don't know them but you know we see so much of their lives or we hear so much about their lives that we feel like we know them and I was devastated when mm. when the world lost her so yes. I think my fascination with with royalty began with Diana and mine has sort of been centered on British royalty I know yes. the other royals are out there yeah and you know if there's a picture of them or if there's something that happens in their lives that I'm like oh look wow but um I yes. think the British royalty is and- Diana's who captured my attention I think I have a huge affection for for William and Harry because they were her children and you know since I feel like I know her <laughs> then you know I've kind of felt like I knew them yeah. um and then the queen it was actually watching the show the crown mm-hmm. on Netflix that really got me interested in Queen Elizabeth and and kind of reading about her and studying about her. So I think my fascination is centered on on British royalty. And mine is too. Um, I would say I um, read the book Majesty by Robert Lacey when I was, I think, in sixth grade. And uh, my my grandmother had often told me stories about Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret Rose, you know. So, um, and for for my grandmother, who was also uh, an Anglophile, this was something very that was near and dear to her she had you know listened to all the stories about when when um king edward the seventh um you know uh, abdicated king edward the seventh king edward the eighth it's the seventh um for i'm having a moment here no it was king edward the eighth i'm sorry king edward the eighth abdicated i've just maligned king edward the seventh um he he had been the the prince of wales and he um, sorry i had muted myself and was like fussing at my dog so I wasn't able to even join into your mental dilemma there sorry <laughs> that's okay um yeah I, I was having a moment I'm like wait it's seventh eighth no eighth um yeah so that that was a big thing in my grandmother's life when the abdication and and uh, King Edward VIII marrying uh, Wallace Simpson and leaving leaving the throne which is what of course set into motion uh, who with who with the royal family today if that had not happened we would have a completely different royal family today right um However, and Elizabeth would have had a very different oh, life. Oh, a very different life. A very different life. Um, however, so I had read Majesty, loved it. It was written, I believe, on the Queen's uh, Silver Jubilee. So it would have been in the late 70s or then thereabouts. I believe that that's when that came out. Um, I'll have to check that. However, I loved, loved, loved all the history. I loved everything. I think I read that book three, four, five times. I was certain that I was destined for, you know, to become... I, I felt like I had a really like a kinship with the queen because we were both older sisters. We both were very serious. We were both, you know, um, uh, very devoted to duty, to doing what was right. I, I felt like she and I could really, really chat. <laughs> I you still guys feel that hung way. out and been besties. I think so. Um, and then I, I have a very clear memory. You know, you have pivotal moments in your life. And I babysat uh, after school for a family, uh, 
I think three days a week from the time I was in eighth grade uh, till I was a sophomore. And um, I remember that they got Newsweek magazine and I remember flipping, sitting in the chair at their house, flipping through Newsweek magazine and seeing a picture of this nursery school teacher who had had her picture taken and the sun was shining through her skirt. And this was at this point, she was just Lady Diana Spencer, one of Prince Charles' many girlfriends. A lot of people who did not grow up when we did don't realize that Prince Charles was considered a playboy. And he had so many girlfriends. He had, I mean, he dated tons and well, tons. He was a prince. Oh. I mean, you know, what he mean? was, like, but that's I mean, kind of a, I mean, no yeah. offense, Charles, but oh, I mean, you look at, I, I've just been because, and, and we'll get to this, but having just uh, being, being in the middle of a release for, for my next royal book, um, I've just watched a ton of documentaries. And I'm telling you, I'm looking back, Charles was not a looker. By any stretch of the imagination. Well, you notice I didn't say he's a handsome prince. No. I just said he's a prince. But he was considered to be at that time. And I'm thinking, well, did the, have things changed so much since the early 70s that we, that we consider? But um, uh, I remember seeing But I think someone's this... like personality, yes. Um, yes. charisma, Possibly. power, maybe. wealth. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think Different I think things are attractive sure to different people. And maybe, So some yes. people are attracted to yeah. the fact that he was wealthy or some people might have been yes. attracted to what he was interested in or some maybe. people might have been attracted to his status. I think status and, and wealth probably had the most to do with it. No offense, Prince Charles. But, um, and so I remember seeing, that was the first time I was aware of Lady Diana Spencer, but something clicked in me and I thought, oh, uh, she's I like she's she's not that much older than me um, you know this is very cool and so when she, from the time they got engaged I began keeping a scrapbook so I still have my scrapbook from 1980 through 1981 with all the pictures cut out and all my little my, my take on everything um, I got up at three o'clock in the morning to watch the wedding and watched all the coverage and again they had books out every time a new book would come out, one of the big like coffee table picture books. I would beg, 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 beg for it because I didn't have any money and they were expensive. Um, I had the paper dolls. I, I, you know, it was, it was all that for me. So when, um, you know, when everything happened and their marriage broke up, that was by that time I was married and um, I was, my kids, my oldest is a little bit younger than her youngest, um, but I was having children, you know, around the same time that she was. Uh, my kids are, are just a tiny bit younger than hers. So I, I think it was the fact that I, I felt like I had a lot in common with her. We were both 20 when we got married. Um, you know, maybe my marriage has gone a little bit differently than, than hers has, <laughs> hers had. Um, I, and when Sarah Ferguson came on, my actually parts of my wedding dress were modeled on, on Sarah Ferguson's wedding dress because my, my wedding gown was made for me also by a designer. Um, not the designer who did Sarah Ferguson's, I will hasten to say. Um, when I was in college at Richmond. <laughs> and so glad you yes, Thank that. you. Yes, I thought I would. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Um, I was paying attention. <laughs> when, when Diane and Charles came to Washington, D.C., I um, took the train to Washington so that I could be in the crowd 
and, and see them. And that was a, that was a big, big, big point. I remember saying to one of my, my high school teachers, I really shouldn't do this. And he was like, are you kidding? You've loved these people forever. You are at two hours. Are you going to let that stand in the way? And I was like, no, I'm not. And I'm not going to tell my parents either. And I'm just going to take the train to Washington DC and, and shake their hands. And it was, it was just, you know, a magic moment. So when I, when she died. I remember it was um, it was Labor Day weekend in 1997, and I was the first one up that morning um, at my house. It was a Sunday morning, and I just sat and cried. And I had people calling me because they knew, that, you know. And 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 we just were we sat in stunned silence. We just couldn't believe, you know, we just couldn't believe that she was gone. And it was it was. Ooh. Well, and I think for some reason I think we may have talked about this before, but. Um when we flew to Australia, I was, um, I was going to Australia for a vacation yes. and we were, um, you know, in the air for a really long time. And we had some complications with our landing and we're actually, we were actually on the plane. We were supposed to be on the plane for 14 hours and we ended up on the plane for 19 hours. And so when we finally My got off that plane <laughs> and kissed the ground, yeah. um, you know, we were a little dazed and confused anyway. And when we stepped out of the taxi at the hotel, uh, this gentleman came running up. He was crying and he grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Diana's dead, Diana's dead, Diana's dead. And then he ran away. And that was our first encounter <laughs> in Australia. And we were like, what was that about? You know, and, <laughs> and, um, and like I said, we, you know, we were tired and not really thinking clearly. And then when we walked in the hotel, everyone was sobbing. All the people behind the front desk were crying. Everyone in the lobby was crying. I mean, it was just, we were kind of walking in like, what happened? What's going on? And um, there was like a, 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 there were like televisions, you know, a bank mm -hmm. of televisions, um, I think over a bar. And the news, of course, was saying that she had died and she died while we were in the air. And so we had known nothing about it. And it was, it, it was almost surreal, like experiencing it there we weren't at home and we were in a country that you know yeah she yeah. was beloved there exactly. and had, had been there you know and there were things named after her and things she had dedicated and um it was funny like I I really I, I guess I'm still kind of shocked at how much it affected me like how much I grieved her death I didn't know her but I did feel like I knew her and, and it was something she had been a person who was important mm -hmm. in some strange way in my life and so um I just remember that entire trip almost having this cloud over it of, of constantly seeing things on the news and, and the funeral happened while we were in the trip and, and um, you know, everyone that we encountered, like there were memorials set up to her and there were, you know, people mm -hmm. glued to televisions. People would stand outside a store looking through the window at, at televisions with news coverage. And so um, it's amazing what the effect was. And yes. at the time I didn't have children. But to see her boys, yes. you know, walking behind her in the funeral yeah. processional and, and knowing that she would not know the adults they became just broke exactly. my heart. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I think when I woke up that morning, we the first news they came across was that she'd been in an accident. But, you know, at that time, you're like, oh, well, you know, this happens. The people are in accident. But there was no hint as to the seriousness of it. And so then when it when the when it further caught up, no, not only has she been in an accident, but she and, and Dodie are both and, and their and their uh, bodyguard or the, the driver. The driver. The, the bodyguard yeah, survived. The, bodyguard the driver. Survived. Yeah. yeah, the uh, driver. Um, uh, we're all three dead. 
I mean, it just was, and I think I kept looking for a rationale. You know, I, I read everything like, well, why did they, why did the ambulance take so long? And it, I think it came out that they stopped like every three minutes because, um, and it's just the medical system in France is completely different than it is how their emergency and trauma medicine are completely different um, than as, you know, uh, than they are here or were here. Um, I just kept watching that video over yeah. and over again of her leaving the hotel in her yes. black shirt and her white pants and having yeah. no idea yeah. that, you know, that her life was yeah. about to end. Yeah, and, um, exactly. And, and I've, you know, I, I have I followed part... the boys. Yeah, I've, I've, like you, I followed the boys and um, I was very excited with Kate and William, um, you know, and, and then with Harry and Meghan. Yeah, I've been, I've been, um, it's funny because again, you know, as though she was like a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I've like watched over the boys and felt like, oh, she would be so proud or, oh, she would be, you know, she would yeah. be so happy. And, um, and, and it's nice to see them both be happy at this point. It's nice to see them both seem to kind of be settled into their roles. I love, um, I, I, I love to see what both of them are doing, yeah. you know, to see William and, and Catherine's work and what they're doing and, and to see, you know, Harry now seeming to have found his stride. He's, he's very much, I think, his mother's son in, in the causes that he's picked mm-hmm. and the way that he's, you know, really the people's prince kind of thing. Um, and, and to see him happy with Megan and kind of, you know, embarking on this next chapter of his life, um, I think is very nice. It's funny because I have um, friends in the U.K., and I think it's very easy for us in the U.S. to be so, you know, warm and fuzzy over the royals. And in the U.K., some people feel very differently oh, about yes. them because they actually finance their lifestyle. Right. And, um, and, and you could say that, you know, we finance our celebrities' lifestyle by paying for their movies or by buying, you know, products that they advertise or whatever. But I don't think it's the same as the yeah. way, you know, with U.K. royalty. Um, I have friends in the U.K. who are just as fascinated with them as I am and absolutely loved Diana and love the boys and eat up every story they can find of them. And then I have friends in the UK that are a little bit over it mm-hmm. and, um, you know, wouldn't be too upset to do away with the monarchy and not have, you know, the burden on the, on the government of, of what they spend. Yeah. And, and I think, um, for me, I, I just can't even imagine just because of the history of it. I, you know, uh, because British history was my specialty, uh, in my concentration in college and, and adjust, you know, there, there was a time in my life where I could, I could recite the, you know, the, the line of succession and who went when and what have you. Um, and so I, that, that's the part that, that just, you know, it, it still just fascinates me. So I, you know, it would horrify me to think about doing away with, with the institution of, of the monarchy. And, and I think it is, um, I think it is transforming. I think it's entirely different. Uh, there is a really good documentary on, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. I'm not entirely positive, but I think it is. And it's called The Royal House of Windsor. And there's one that's a little, di- there's there's a uh, one that has a similar title. It's a little different, but this one is a five episode um, documentary and it does a really good job. It traces uh, the history of this particular family from when they changed their name uh, in, in during World War One, of course, the, the British royal family was actually more German than it was British. And their name was Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. And they made the decision because there was such a strong anti-German feeling in those days to change it to Windsor 
and then the, just the history of what has happened, you know, how they've kept that name, the, the struggle when the current queen um, ascended to the throne, uh, as far as whether they would keep that name, because technically she was married, so her married name was Mountbatten, but would she right. keep it? And, and then the whole thing, you know, how, how they've um, compromised that over the years. Um, and you just realize this, this tremendous history, and, and you see how they have made concessions to uh, modernity that, that they might not have thought they were going to. And we know that, that for instance, Prince Philip, changed the royal family. We know that right. Diana changed the royal family. And right. we know that right now, uh, Prince William and Prince Harry are changing the royal family. And that's right. okay. It's all right to change it. Because if you don't change, I think we've seen, you know, if, if you look at history, you can see that, um, that those who don't adapt die. Um, and, and, you know, the queen used to make a joke. Well, you know, we'll go quietly. You know, she would she would say if they decided to vote them out, because it, especially during this, the late 60s and 70s, there was a, a strong anti anti monarchy, um, you know, contingent. But uh, I, I have a feeling that they're going to be around for a while. I just think. I think well, I do think I, I think in some ways, you know, the, the tourism draw Mm-hmm. for the royal family you know um yeah. is is big i i think They're that excellent public relations uh, they are machine they yeah. are and we don't really have i mean we have we have kind of like what we would consider our hollywood royalty and then we've had what has been considered our political royalty i think the kennedy family was definitely the closest we came to like a political royalty right. but it's funny how not all of our political families are considered royalty like i would say you know the bush family is considered more of a dynasty right you know the we have other powerful families in the united states whether it be through corporate power or through political power um but but we don't consider them royalty we don't we don't look at them i mean they're not royalty but i mean what i'm saying is we don't look at them with the same um rever we don't look at them in the same way right that we do the no, I don't think we. I don't think we have anything that's really comparable in this in this country. And I think we've tried to, at times, as you've said, to kind of create that um, that idea. The Kennedys probably are the closest, but because um, one one of the the beauties of the royal family is that they are completely apolitical. They must be. That is part right. of you know. They right. they must be able to work with the government no matter what. Um, and so they are completely apolitical. So you can have... And that's actually one of the concerns yes. whenever Charles ascends to the throne is that yes. people think he may have a little more difficulty than his mother right. in being apolitical. Yes. Although he has assured people that he knows that's what right. his role will be. And, and, and I have, I, you know, for all that I, I've made fun of Charles in this podcast, um, I do think he's incredibly intelligent. I think he has been um, misperceived uh, several times. I think he's made some grave errors. I also think he was... Um, I think he was pressured into things, and I think he knew very early on that the marriage to Diana was a mistake. Um, oh, I think he yeah. very early on is is yeah. an understatement. Yeah. I think he knew before it ever happened. Exactly. But um, I feel sorry for him in many ways I because do too. I think you know yeah. he. It's not like he had a choice as to what he was born into, and he has a job. And mm-hmm. he, it's not like he was allowed to go and pursue. He couldn't have, you know, become a heart surgeon or he no. couldn't have, you know, done something else. This is his job. And unfortunately, he is not able to do his job completely until his mother passes. Yes. And so I feel like he spent his whole life. Obviously, you don't want your mother to die. Right. But waiting for her to, to pass so that he could come into his right. And mm-hmm. now, you know, um, 
Yeah, Lucky well, him. His mother's the longest reigning monarch exactly. in history. And, and you he, know? he has a lot in common with Edward VII. And this is Edward VII, who would, is the, uh, the current queen's um, uh, grandfather. Right. Um, you know, in that, you know, he, grand, no, great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. Sorry, great-grandfather, because George VI was her. George V right. was her grandfather. George VI was her father. King Edward VII was her great-grandfather, who was the son of Queen Victoria. And again, lived, uh, you know, she lived a very long life. And, and his tenure on the throne ended up being fairly short um, because of that. Um, and, and he was succeeded by his son in, in fairly quick order. I mean, I think he ascended to the throne in 1901. And I believe his son, I believe, I think he was only there for 13 or 14 years. And, you know, I, I think that that's... Well, I think it's it's funny how even, um, even the people who are in royalty... I mean, we kind of, we, we tend to romanticize it, obviously, all of our fairy tales, you know, the handsome prince and, um, is going to rescue her from, you know, all these things of normal life. But I think that there's definitely a very specific set of challenges Mm -hmm. that comes along with being in that fishbowl or under that microscope. Um, I think we've definitely seen that. We saw that with, with Kate and William, but I think we've definitely seen that with Meghan and Harry. And, and the challenges that come, um, you know, with, with the paparazzi, obviously, you know, Diana's death was, was I think, caused by the paparazzi. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that we see where our fascination with them almost leads to them not being able to, to lead, quote unquote, normal lives, right. even, even normal lives within the constraints of being royal. Um, I think our fascination with them almost hurts them in some ways yeah. because everyone wants a piece and um, yes. I think that they're you know you may have the status and you may have the wealth and you may have all these trappings of royalty but you're also trapped by that because you know you there's constraints on what you can do and what you I mean we hear so much especially now with, with Megan and Kate under the microscope so much of like what's royal protocol that you know they must wear hose and the queen doesn't like wedges and they you know the queen likes this shade of nail polish and but then the what you can and can't do I mean Harry had so many um you know, bad PR situations in his, in his single life, doing what probably many other, you know, wealthy boys his age would have done, but under a different um, lens, you know, because he was royalty. And so I think it's fascinating that, you know, is as romantic as it's as romantic as it sounds, I can't even talk romantic as it sounds to find your prince and marry him, that it may actually not be you know, right. not be all it's cracked up to be. And we know that Chelsea Davy and um, Cressida both, that's the reason they broke up with Harry, yes. evidently, um, from, yeah. from what all the reports have said since those breakups happened, that seeing what William and Kate went through or seeing what they went through, the personal scrutiny they went through while dating Harry, that they decided that life wasn't for them. Right. And, and you know, that, that, that brings up uh, two interesting points. One is that this is actually a situation that is most particular to the British royal family. And part of the reason is that the queen has always uh, followed in, in the footsteps of her uh, predecessors and, and believed that 
the British royal family needs to be somewhat separate, somewhat apart, where all of the, uh, the majority of the other royal families begin to embrace a more um, open life and begin to say, well, it doesn't matter if you're a prince or princess, you can get a job or you can go do this, you can go do that. Um, Which I feel like Andrew has done with his children. Like yes. Eugenie well, and Beatrice both have yeah. been able to somewhat live normal lives. But that, you know? and, and actually, he fought against that. He did not want them to. He, he actually was, was very against that because part of that was um, Prince Charles has been trying to um, been trying to kind of narrow the focus of who is considered, you know, one of the in the main royal uh, the line, yes. the lineage. Yeah. yeah, not even in the line, but just who is doing, who is working on a day-to-day basis because those people are paid from the royal, the, the, the royal privy uh, person and those, and so he's trying to make Which it. Which is so probably that, wise for self-preservation. It is. Well, it is because they have a very large family considering that the queen has first cousins and second cousins who are still actively carrying out engagements on behalf of the crown. Now, the older that the queen becomes, and she is in her 90s, um, the, the fewer engagements she is carrying out in person, although she still does keep a very heavy workload, but her children and grandchildren, cousins, nieces, nephews, uh, whatever, all to a certain extent um, carry, carry that out. Now, um, but they, they still have managed to keep themselves a little bit more separate than, say, the Swedish royal family, the Danish royal family, the Spanish, who, who have tended to say, eh, you know, we're, we're just regular people. The queen never wants anybody to forget that no, they're not just regular people. And I think she's smart about that because I think the mystique does keep them um, a little bit more uh, separate. Now, Relevant. The, exactly. And, and yeah, exactly. it keeps the interest there. Right. Yeah. And the second yeah. part is that uh, as, as we're talking about living in the fishbowl and the challenges is that that was, um, I, I released a book uh, in last May uh, called The Anti-Cinderella. And, and it was already actually written before everything or, or the mostly written before everything happened with Megan and, and Harry. Um, and it was very interesting to me to see how a lot of that played out. And uh, Harry and Megan got married. And, and since I released the book, which was actually uh, the same week, the first book um, has influenced the what's happening in the second book, which releases on February 26th. And that's the anti Cinderella takes London. And that is what happens after the the prince and the girl who he loves have declared themselves have decided that they are in love have committed to each other um you know in in the second book we have i don't think it's a spoiler uh, you know to say we have the engagement and we have all what builds up between the engagement and the wedding and and what happens and um the process of becoming changing from being the, the a normal person to becoming part of the royal family the royal machine. Um, the royal machine, yes. And yeah. there's a lot of, um, it's not just the press, although the press is a big part of it. And for me, I needed to make sure that it, it shifted because the first book uh, was definitely, the press was a huge part of it. Now, the press is also a big part of it in the second book, but there's the added stress of the palace, which is, imagine a huge business, but it's all focused on one family. And that's that's what the you know the palace firm is and they right know, say, that's what they call it with a capital the f the yeah. firm yes yeah. so yeah so um you know a lot of this book is is kyra's struggles with um how to become part of the family and yet stay true to who she is which is something that her her um love 
her Prince Nicholas uh, really, really wants her to make sure he's seen it in, in this book. He has seen um, what has happened to other members of his family. You know, I don't mention anybody specifically by name, but it's clear that we are talking about the current, you know, British family, right. British royal family. Right. Um, but but Prince Nicholas is part of a, a child that we don't know that the Queen has, you know, um, and and he has seen. Uh, there, there are references to things that he has seen in his family, that he has seen people um, kind of get absorbed or kind of believe their own publicity or whatever. And he is very, very anxious that she is allowed to uh, to be who she is, but also understanding that she has to bow to certain things in order to become part of his family. And it's a balance. And that's that that's been um that's been something that's been fascinating to write about um, for somebody who has been studying the royal family for a very long time. Um, it was, it's been fascinating to actually put that into effect. I feel like I've been writing this book since I was in seventh grade because I did, <laughs> I did actually begin a story about an American girl who married um, Prince Edward when I was in eighth grade. So, you know, and I had, I had genealogies, I had her entire history, and I had built a lot of that into, um, into Kyra and Nikki's story, uh, you know, of course, with the additional things that have happened in the interim, uh, which, and, and learning a lot more than what we did in those days. So, right, yeah, right. so it's been, it's been fun. I So when does the book release? The book releases on February 26th, and it's called February 26th. Yes. Called, and it's the Cinderella, the Anti-Cinderella Takes London? Takes London, yes. It's the second okay. book. Okay. And if someone hasn't read the Anti-Cinderella, and after this fascinating podcast, they <laughs> want to, to partake in this fictional story, where would they find um, the Anti-Cinderella? They would find the Anti-Cinderella um, on every vendor, um, Apple Online Books. Online vendor, yeah. Apple Books, Amazon, Nook, Kobo, um, Google, um, my website. Um, they're all there. And the second book is on pre-order at Apple Books. As a matter of fact, it is a featured romantic title this month. I, I just nice. got notification last night that Apple Books is, that the Anti-Cinderella Takes London is their featured romantic title. Um, and it's also, it should be up for Kobo on pre-order. I, I don't have confirmation of that. And it should be up for Nook uh, uh, for pre-order for uh, today, I believe. Now. Yes, so they now. could go ahead and get Anti-Cinderella, but they could go ahead and pre-order Anti-Cinderella yes. Takes London on, now so that they would, by the time they finish Anti-Cinderella, right. boom. That's right. On three, different, on three different vendors, they can pre-order. It's not up for pre-order on Amazon. All right. Awesome. Well, I think that we would love to know your thoughts on royalty. Are you someone who does Definitely. not get what the fascination is? Or are you someone who just loves seeing the, the pictures and reading the stories and watching the interviews? Um, are you someone who is fascinated by the history of the mm. royal family? So let us know what you think. We could reach out to us at our open dialogue one at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to either one of us, um, Todd tadracandle.com, violethow.com. We also have, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, pretty much anywhere you want to find us. But we appreciate you listening. Yes, and I will say this. If you have any pictures, if you've met members of the royal family, you have pictures, whatever, oh, please share them with us. We will eat yes, that Yes, definitely. We would love we would to see love that. It. We will ooh and ah. And you'll become a little yes. celebrity to us. <laughs> yes, we are planning on um, on creating a Facebook page for uh, an open dialogue. And we would love to have your pictures um, featured on that page so everybody can ooh and ah. And we can see um, your 
first connection right. to yes, Kevin Bacon. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank we appreciate everyone who's listening. Um, we appreciate you being here and have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.